If I could tell you just one thing is a brand new event industry podcast presented by me, Mel Noakes. And me, Max Fellows. It's a podcast from Elevate where industry leaders write a letter to their younger self. And consider what wise advice they would give themselves now if only they could. Our discussion is all based on this letter. Be prepared for refreshingly honest conversation and wise words of wisdom. Our guest on this episode is Sean Doyle. Sean has worked in the events industry for 20 years with a career path that includes working agency side with some of the world's biggest brands, including Instagram, Facebook and PlayStation. Sean is currently Director of Experiential Marketing at Pinterest, leading a global team with responsibility for brand experiences across advertising, creator and consumer experiences. Sean believes that life is an adventure to follow your dreams and make it fun wherever you can. And if you're not having fun, it's time to choose a new adventure. Hi, Sean, and welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, and uh, congratulations on the podcast. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Really excited to be here. Um, so, yeah, I'm Sean. I am Director of Experiential Marketing at Pinterest, like you said. Um, Pinterest, as I'm sure many of your listeners in the event industry will know, is uh, the world's inspiration app. It's a place for um, people to find billions of the world's best ideas um, and plan their dreams into reality, essentially. So uh, joined Pinterest nearly four years ago now um, as a uh, event marketing lead for Europe as the business was starting to scale outside of the US. Um, and now I am uh, leading a global team across uh, UK, Ireland uh, and the US. And yeah, prior to that, I had uh, a long time in agencies. Uh, that's obviously Max. You all know we had a couple of great years there together, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, and yeah, that's me. What else do you want to know? So Sean, well, we yeah. are, we cannot wait to dig into all of this. There's so much to talk about. I guess the first question is, how did you find writing that letter to yourself? There's, it's quite an experience to go back 20 years. It definitely <laughs> is. Yeah. Can I ask either of you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? Yes. <laughs> okay. I have. Well, Pete has been uh, recommending it <laughs> at, at some time, but I've, I've, yeah, I've, I've watched a bit. Okay. Why? I just wondered if there was like any inspiration there because the final episode of Drag Race, basically RuPaul asks the final queens to like talk to a picture of themselves as a child. And it's like the most emotive thing. I'm always like in tears. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So I was kind of like, that reminded me of that when I did it. And I was like, great. I'm never going to go on Drag Race. But I have to <laughs> Hang on. It. We now want to know where the inspiration originally came from. I thought it was a great idea for us, but Pete had seeded it from Drag Race. A hundred percent. How was the experience? Um, it was therapeutic, I will say. I'm going to say eventually I enjoyed it I probably procrastinated on it for quite a long time I was like do I really want to say all about these things about myself like talk to myself at that stage but I found it really interesting like that time going back specifically 20 years in my life like 18 when I was 18 years old was like a really pivotal moment for me and it actually was the moment that I kind of accidentally fell into the event industry um so I was very unsure of myself, I suppose. I really didn't have a big plan. I didn't even know what experiential marketing was, I suppose. Um, so yeah, it was fascinating. And actually, I kind of came away from it thinking, I wish I had spent more time looking back and more regularly. There was like mm. a lot of moments that I just was really proud of. And it also just reminded me a lot of moments, a lot of people, reminding me to reach out to people who I hadn't spoken to in ages. So yeah, it was really actually quite an enjoyable experience in the end. Amazing. That's really good to hear. And I think that it's only when that reflection back as you realise just quite how far you've come and that journey has been well, a lot of it very different to what you'd once thought about. But, you know, what an incredible journey in itself. So just going then back to prior to that 18, 19 years then, and, and just as a bit of, I suppose, precursor to the incredible career that's then kind of ensued. What, what, was, what was Sean like kind of growing up and what was kind of family and, and schooling like for you? Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty normal kid, I think. I grew up uh, just outside Reading in a very fascinating town called Bracknell, famous for its uh, indoor, outdoor fake ski slope and its amazing uh, coral reef water park, which was the best place for birthday <laughs> parties ever. Um, yeah, I went to school in Reading. Um, I... Yeah, I guess I was I like at school. I mean, I was into um, maths, business studies, etc. I make myself sound like a real geek, but I don't think I was. I kind of turned into a bit of a kind of goth slash punk in my teenage years. Um, I got suspended from school for dyeing my hair blue. Um, I love that you're really a rebel kind of even as a kid. Expressive age, I think, uh, <laughs> like the teenage years. Um, 
but yeah, my family were publicans, actually. Um, and obviously, I've listened to SJ's episode recently, and I know that she had a kind of similar um, upbringing with her parents, an Irish family. They were kind of like the typical um, Irish landlord and landlady of pubs, really. Um, and they ran pubs in the southeast of England before and after I was born. Then they took a bit of a break whilst I was at school, trying to aim towards... Um, uh, a bit more of a work-life balance, I think, which I'm not sure they ever really achieved. They were both kind of obsessed with work, really. Um, and my dad had started a plumbing business. My mum was running these service stations for Shell. And then when I was 17, we decided to move back to Ireland. And really, that was like to follow my dad's dream of moving back home, I suppose. Um, and they bought this uh, village pub, this kind of derelict building. It wasn't just the village pub, it was also the village shop, the petrol station, the post office, and it was in the village that my mum had grown up in, and um, that was a real adventure. So the three of us packed up and moved there. We spent four months, I guess, working like day and night to refurb this building, including the home we were living in, and you know, the villagers, the family, everyone kind of like chipped in to build this business from like carving this bespoke bar to laying this like floor with local tiles, etc. It was really an adventure. Um, and then I probably spent another six months there um, as the business opened, working there full time, like getting that off the ground. And then, yeah, I moved back to the UK um, when I was 18, which brings us to around about the mm. better time, I yeah. suppose. And when kind of in that, that, hospitality environment the, the kind of republican how did that shape you i suppose as an individual one would think almost because you've got people in around you all the time as, as to really kind of carve out a social side and almost kind of interpersonal skills developed there what was that like and, and how would you say that shaped you a hundred percent like my parents were like i say these kind of like typical publicans like loved holding court always up for a good chat a good conversation um always up for a, a bit of fun a bit of a laugh etc but really like every night you were creating experiences in that pub especially when we opened there was a lot of music in there um it was just like the heart of the community really and i think that definitely did um you know shape me and how i approach things and the way that i work with people and um that kind of fun element that i like to bring hmm. to my work and to teams etc um but i think my parents also outside of that were actually quite creative people which i think i got a bit of that from them too so my mum loves to write poetry for example my dad um you know he was always a bit of a dreamer but he used to love to draw or he was a good drawer or what have you so i guess they got a bit of that creative side i also think the social side but then the entrepreneurial spirit as well and you talk nice. about that in your letter actually this sort of marriage of creativity but also business and, and mm. the need to have both to really fulfill your passions a hundred percent yeah i actually do think that like you know events and creating experiences is kind of like that perfect um match for me because Yes, I love the creative process. I love ideation. I love working with fellow creatives and seeing things brought to life. But it has to be effective, I think, for me. Otherwise, I kind of lose interest in it. Like if it's not driving impact in one way or another. Um, and I think, you know, brand experiences, as you all know, and your, your listeners will know, um, really have the opportunity to, to like drive real impact for businesses. So, so you talk a little bit about your university days and some of the big decisions and we've talked a little bit before coming on you know that career path for you wasn't a rosy yellow brick road to Pinterest at all so tell us a little bit about your university experience and some of the decisions you had to make that that totally. led you here yeah well first of all just to be clear I didn't actually end up going to university but what I was alluding to in the letter which is a little bit cryptic around this like decision I was making that I was kind of like regretting it was a it was a college course I was doing pre-university because like I mentioned at that age of 17 I'd left so I hadn't finished the second year of my A-levels so I was basically doing this kind of TV and radio journalism course in Amersham um, with a view to then go on to, to university and I guess I'd always thought I would do that um, and, you know, then I'd probably go and do the traditional gap year traveling. And that was just kind of like what I thought I would do. All of my mates were doing it, et cetera. Um, but I had left Ireland and I had moved back to England. I was living um, on my own. I was living with like a shared house, et cetera. But I kind of like was really trying to be independent. And like I was like saying to my, my family, I, I can do this, et cetera. Um, I think I was struggling with that more than I thought. Um, and the the college thing... I don't, I, at the time, I guess I couldn't really put my finger on it. I just wasn't loving it, honestly. I just wasn't enjoying it. And I didn't um, think it was that worthwhile. Um, 
I'd kind of just had this like urge that I felt like I'd rather be working. Um, and, you know, I was also working on the side, just, you know, you know, in a pub or what have you. And even that, I was just like, I actually would rather be there. Like I'm getting more out of that than I feel like I am here. And then this thought of like doing this for another several years, I was just like, really not into it um so over the christmas of that year i kind of made the decision that i wasn't going to go back but i never really committed that that was it and that was the line that i wasn't going to go back and go to university i was like maybe it's just not right for now um and i kind of had that story for quite a long time that i was going to go back and do that i was going to go back to university and maybe i'll just be a mature student or what have you um and i never did because i fell into work which we can get onto and i loved it um but it definitely was something that I felt like hung over me for a long time. I felt like, am I going to regret this? Am I going to be held back because I didn't get a, a degree? Um, and, you know, you've seen the end of the letter. I, I, I no longer regret it. But um, it was, I think it's like a even the words, like when people would just kind of expect you to go to university or what university did you go to or what did you study? I used to kind of almost like feel ashamed of saying I didn't. Um, but as I kind of grew I suppose in my career what have you I actually ended up becoming quite proud that I had got to where I had without that taking that path I suppose completely resonate and I think we yeah we know that we, we took kind of path similar to that I suppose for, for me there's elements of it that the social side perhaps and the connections and things that I missed for you when in that period of several years after not regretting that decision but that hangover that you mentioned what is it about the uni thing that, that you thought you needed or perhaps was that the missing piece to you at the time i think for me it wasn't the social piece honestly because i feel like i did live that part i lived in very successfully lots, yes <laughs> and uh, yeah lived in student houses and, and all of that um i think it was the validation that like you um you someone had given you something to say that you were qualified to do that and you had professionally been trained to do something i suppose that's probably what it was yeah like you know i guess it's like how long does it take for this phrase to come out when someone's having a conversation these days but a bit of imposter syndrome i suppose mm. you know um bit of a seal of approval of sorts that you can do that or you've been kind of absolutely stamped yeah. that you can yeah i will say that my sister um we're really close in age and what have you. She did go to university. Uh, she was just like one year ahead of me in school. She was like actually the person who would constantly say to me like, and she was going through that, you know, she was going through the university thing, the typical thing. And she was very much like, I guess so admiring of the path I had taken. And she was really like a champion for me and building me up and like telling me how proud she was of me, etc. So yeah, it's good to surround yourself with people like that. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel during that period or perhaps those kind of late teens, early twenties, you mentioned kind of imposter syndrome, there was a kind of a confidence thing and, and a self-belief, or do you think that's just a part of that finding yourself and the career kind of that, that came forward? There definitely was. And honestly, I think I still have that to be honest. Um, so there was that piece of it around the whole university thing. And then, I mean, like, candidly, I kind of struggled to feel like I'd express myself in a certain way because um, I'd entered this world that kind of just felt very heterosexual mas masculine, I suppose. And um, I would kind of avoid situations where I would be in a room where someone would ask me about my girlfriend or something, even though outside of work, I was like, happily had a boyfriend and like my friends knew my family knew I was out etc but I kind of had this weird situation in work especially as I got more senior or even dealing with like senior clients or what have you that back in the day a lot of them used to be men in suits going to the golf club or whatever that I would be embarrassed to say that um so that was also another kind of self-confidence thing and that's another thing I alluded to in my letter which was like when you actually finally just open up and be yourself you are just so much more and people, of course, they accept you. And like, mm. it even sounds ridiculous saying it now because the mm. world has moved on, thankfully. Mm. But at that time, it's such a unique stage, isn't it? Those early teen years and early 20s and for you being away from your family and in that environment, it, it must have taken quite a lot. So what things do you think you pulled on at that time as you were going through that journey that really helped pull you through? Because there'll be other people listening to this that may well be in the same situation. Mm. Yeah, good question. I mean, I think... The reality is, um, 
you know, just realizing that when you are yourself, first of all, like it always works out better and you feel better and people accept you and actually even more because you're being more yourself and then you've got this like less of this barrier, I suppose. So I would just encourage people to be themselves. I feel like in the um, working world, like Max, you might be surprised to hear this because we worked together and you probably felt like when I was working with you at Clive, I was very much myself, but I actually feel like I'm more myself now than I've ever been in the workplace and you know, um, one of the things that um, I ended up kind of falling into when I went to Pinterest into, into this like co-presidency role of like a LGBTQ community and then like actually like publicly, I suppose, or publicly, but internally, like representing that part of me and supporting other people in the same situation in the business. Um, and yeah, I guess it kind of like never made me, I've never felt prouder, I suppose. And then I feel just more able to express myself I feel like my creativity is more um I can be more direct so yeah I would just encourage people to um you know find people that champion you and just try your try and try and be yourself because people will accept you and mm. you will be happier and do better work I think it's tricky isn't it that that whole kind of being yourself piece because it's so very much around it's, it's who you're around and feel most comfortable with but in a commercial working environment you kind of almost don't get to necessarily choose who that is versus your personal life instead totally so, so, so when was it for you then that, that you could because of your earlier kind of career in you know, hospitality Keith Prowse and so on and so forth what you, you know you mentioned in your letter what, what were those kind of earlier stages like and how did that shape you and is there a key or pivotal moment that things clicked more so for you yeah, so uh, the Keith Prowse job was um, after I had just made that decision to quit college. I applied for this role. I honestly d didn't even know what it meant, to be honest, what a hospitality <laughs> executive was. Um, people probably listening wouldn't know what that is either, but it was basically a sales job selling corporate hospitality packages, mostly at sporting venues, to corporates. And you were literally given the yellow pages and asked to pick up the phone and call people. And um, I remember the interview was like this very intense um, uh, kind of like salesy interview. And then at the end of it, they were like, right, call me back tomorrow and tell me if you want the job. Maybe it wasn't tomorrow, but like in a few days or whatever. And uh, even that was like really nerve wracking because I didn't still really understand what the job was. I knew I knew nothing about sport and everyone just seemed to be like all of the other people in this group interview were like really into rugby and football. So they were like just talking about their passion, mm. and, you know, and I was like, I don't know anything about this. Um, but anyway, I decided to make that call. And I think that was basically part of the interview. You were kind of selling yourself back to mm. the sales manager on reflection. Um, but yeah, for a while I was like out of my depth here. I feel like I, I don't love this. I'm having to like pretend I'm into something I'm not. I know nothing about it. Hopefully no one's asked me about the offside rule. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like eventually um, it, it goes back to like the just being yourself a bit more opening up about my personal life or like the fact that actually that isn't a passion of mine and saw that there were other opportunities in the role, like there were hospitality packages at the boat race or the theatre, right? So there were other opportunities that like maybe other people were not so interested in yeah. that you could get into. But then the business also had this kind of like perspective Spoke side of their business so they were owned by a giant catering company who owned venues etc and you know round the corner in the office there was this other team doing all of this other work they didn't really understand but I met this um woman called Vicky Hartley and I often credit her back to like the person who like inspired me around the events industry um and she was doing this big project for uh, a big tech company building this giant structure for these like couple of events and she was just looking for help and um, I put my hand up and um, yeah, volunteered to work on these, these kind of like more creative events. And uh, that was when I was like, wow, this is a great job. And you get a chance to be really creative. It's kind of like telling a story um, and then, you know, seeing it come to life. And I often say this as well, but like seeing the reaction from an audience as they walk in, and like see it come to life as not many forms of marketing where you get like that front row seat i think to uh, to your work that's why we all do what we do absolutely yeah <laughs> so uh yeah i don't know if i answered your question no you did because i think but you're saying kind of that that moment when at least you know vicky gave you the opportunity and, and that was a kind of moment where actually that was the path you thought but equally this is suddenly kind of a, a slight turn but yes. then puts you onto this direction of kind of marketing or experiential marketing or more creative type communications that's right yeah so basically after that the uh a whole department that i worked for um shut down i hadn't been there even a year at that stage um and personally i was like okay i want to do this um where does this type of work come from uh, where does it happen i was like mostly it happens in london right 
I'll move to London. So I moved to London and... Um, on your of, own? Uh, did I move at the time? My partner at the time, my boyfriend at the time had moved, um, kind of moved on my own, but then some friends also ended up moving at a very similar time. So we did end up getting a flat together. Um, and yeah, I was just like kind of, that was a decision. I was going to go mm. and work in events and... Um, I, I just applied for lots of jobs and uh, used interviews as learning processes to learn more about the industry. And if I didn't get a job, I'd use the information I got in that interview to make me sound like I knew more about events in the next job. Um, I think that's what people don't often realize. It's those learning opportunities you get. And my, I, I meet so many people that don't look at interviews as a two-way process. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting to have that sort of approach when you were as young as you were in the industry and not knowing and actually seeing them as a learning opportunity and opportunity to take 100%. lessons from. Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't think I knew I was doing that at the time, but like on reflection, you know, every interview I got a little bit better, I suppose, mm. based on like the experience. So everything you say is, is absolutely right. Um, and then, yeah, I, I landed at this really small, uh, agency. It was like three people that worked there. It was owned by husband and wife. Um, no longer around anymore actually, but called Silverleaf. It was, um, maybe some of the older listeners might remember it, but, um, yeah, I was the kind of fourth, the fourth person working there and, and in a small agency, you just absolutely have to do everything. everything. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if I look back at my LinkedIn, which I did to do this, um, like in preparation of this conversation, I was like, oh, okay. So I was an event manager, account manager. I did this and then I was strategy. I'm like, you literally do everything. Obviously like nowadays you'd have bigger agencies mm -hmm. and bigger companies have real specialists in those things. But it's, I always recommend people like start mm. an agency, starting a small agency. I, I think agree. Yeah, really absolutely. great for people. You just so much exposure to everything. Um, I think like on the first day I was taking an inquiry from some inbound call. And then like later that week I was doing a site visit, at a, you know, at a venue I'd never been to before, but I'd turned up half an hour before and checked it out. So then I made it look like I had been there and then I, organized this event for the first time and you know i just i just loved it it was all about the people that i want to stay like mm. really just building relationships with clients understanding what their needs are like what their objectives are how you're going to make them look good and um hopefully having some fun along the way i completely agree with your point about that getting stuck in and, and yeah the smaller i think there is sometimes the kind of i say the magpie effect it's the big shiny thing that takes you to it and the reality is is actually even some of the biggest agencies and organizations aren't really that good uh, in you know in certain respects but i started off at a i think it was a four-person agency because you get to know then the ins and outs of the role and what's required so when you do progress you get that real understanding appreciation and empathy at times for what those are so i think it's a really valid point for, for people to those early be open foundations to. are so yeah. important aren't they because you draw back on them even now i talk back at my receptionist role that i had the amount i draw on that still 20 <coughs> odd years later <laughs> um it's phenomenal isn't it the learning the curve you have 100%. so sean interesting some of the stuff you were talking about there and it comes out in your letter as well where you say i'm going to say yes to everything but i also learn how to say no mm. Uh, funny enough, you mentioned SJ earlier. We saw that a lot in SJ as well. Mm. This sort of leaning in and saying yes to everything. And it sounds like you did that for these jobs, like going to interviews, learning more. So I'd love to know a little bit more about how you lent in and said yes, but how you learned how to say no and when to say no, because that's the challenge, mm. I think, for most people in this industry. Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, I think like on the um, work side, uh, saying yes, asking for opportunities as well, like back to that kind of job at, at the small agency Silverleaf, like I, I, you know, I wanted it to be more than it could be. And um, through that, you know, pushed for opportunities to grow the business from being like a traditional agency that did a lot of kind of venue sourcing and the odd small events into like somewhere that had more of a kind of creative production department and what have you. So, um, I mean, it sounds ridiculous saying this now, but like I literally designed a logo myself. I learned how to build a website from a book <laughs> and I launched what was called Silverleaf Productions. And we used, you know, what our clients' briefs were to, in a creative way to like, yes, produce these events, but also like buy all the stuff, not just hire it anymore. Because I was like, this seems like a waste of money. Mm. You could definitely do this better. Like buying all the furniture, all the props, all the creative things, and then turning that into like a separate side business. Um, which then kind of got us because we were doing so much work in some of these like particular venues, like these venue groups were like, Oh, you should be our preferred vendor. And it's like, how did this happen? Like I literally just like 
came up with this idea and we're doing it on our own, etc. Um, so that is a bit of a tangent, I think. But like in terms of like saying yes to other things, I think this I think this was touched on in, in some of your other interviews and Max, I think you probably did the same thing, but going to everything, like the event industry, um, certainly at that stage was there was always an opportunity to go to some kind of networking event, whether it's an association or it's a mm -hmm. vendor doing something or it's a venue doing an, uh, a kind of open evening or something. And like that was my social life, honestly, in my like, mm. 20s. And I think I probably was out a lot of the week um, for probably over 10 years. And that's where I made lots of great connections. Um, it's probably where I first met Peter Kerwood, probably at Madame Two Swords, I imagine. Um, it's definitely where I first met Max at some kind of forum that we were at in, in Brighton, I think. Um, I met some amazing people that I went on to work with, um, some great clients, some great vendors. And I think that whole just going to everything and building this network was like kind of part of my growth and success, I suppose, because what I was good at was solving clients' problems quickly. And that was because I knew how to put the solutions together because I was like, oh, okay, well, you want to do that. And I'm like, well, I know that place and that person or this vendor mm. and like they would make a good solution. And I was able to like come up with those solutions pretty quickly because I had said yes to all of these other mm. things and built those relationships, I think. And that network. And, yeah. and did that saying yes come organically did that is that something you had to kind of proactively go you know what i am gonna get out there or i am gonna go and do these things i think i just wanted to honestly i was like this is so exciting mm. i loved it like i mean that whole time like early 20s and most of my 20s i still love this industry like i just wanted to go to it. it was exciting it was what i wanted to be doing in my evenings so yeah and and, and you, you don't realize you're doing that at the time per se in terms of that whole kind of terminology of networking is is yeah, grey suited and and yeah, handing out business cards for so covered in cob cobwebs and masculine and ugh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whereas actually, the reality is is that you know you meet someone for for lunch there with a few other people and you meet that that is the same kind of thing or something a bit more formalised. It's that kind of meeting people and and adding value to them and, and helping where you can that. It's only when you look back and you think, right, this is a, a client problem. To your point, you need to solve it, and you think, oh, I met that person there or that venue there, or, and it all comes together, which is yeah, which is really interesting. You mentioned something just a bit earlier about Vicky, I think it was about being a kind of a, a champion, if you like. I just want to ask in terms of other individuals that have of that journey, and I know that we've got a little bit less left of, of that journey with kind of Clive and onwards of there, but. In that period over the eight, nine, ten years or so, were there any other key people that act as mentor or champions that helped that process for you? Or was it something that actually you found and navigated yourself quite organically? Um, do you mean in those early times that we've touched on or going on after well, I suppose that? kind of after that really, that kind of from Silverleaf the next ten years or so mm. from, from that point. Yeah, I mean, I think um, you won't be surprised to hear that Nick Robinson, uh, previous owner of um, Clive, played a big part in my career and I think joined Concerto at the time as it was um, and then became like a, a shareholder and the MD etc um, you know I think when he joined he I don't know he saw something in me or, or what it gave me a lot of more opportunity um, and pushed me outside of my comfort zone and um, I think I definitely see him as a as a champion and like uh, you know the reason that a lot of things happened in my career, I suppose, and we worked together for a long time, mm. so he's definitely someone. Um, there's also a um, amazing woman I worked with for a really short period of time, but I always remember her, and actually I really need to reach out to her again. But her name is Sarah Cox, and she joined um, Clive uh, as part of the sale of the business, which happened later on, obviously. Um, and she was like a chief people officer um she was kind of like a i suppose like a informal mentor in a way and she just gave me like a lot of confidence in myself and um was one of those people that really like championed me being myself etc um so she's someone and uh then i think my um you know my my current boss um is actually someone that i had worked with uh, as a client funny enough years before um and not like hugely directly, but I vividly remember her um, just being really inspiring. 
And what I mean by that is she was so fun and engaging and motivating for her team on site. And I really remember it. And um, obviously now I work with, with her and she has also given me a lot of opportunity and cleared a lot of roadway for me at Pinterest to, to um, you know, give me opportunities to shine or lead or what have you. Um, and I definitely take inspiration from her and how I lead like my team and mm. my part of, you know, her global team. So. And that's something I wanted to ask you about, actually, Sean, because you say in your letter, there's a really lovely line in it that says something around, you know, people open the door for me, be that person for other people. And you talk about that and fun quite a lot. So I'd love to know a little bit about how you lead your team and how you create that environment, because you talked about having people across multiple geographies and things like that. So how, how do you do that? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm chucking the word of culture there as well, because it's something that I've seen you firsthand and been a part of helping with you. But yeah, we'd love to hear more. Yeah, it is. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the culture piece is something I care passionately about, and it was a big part of uh, of like what we did at Clive and what we built there. And um, it's a really big, important part of Pinterest. But obviously, like my team is like a really small part of a bigger company, which is also part of another department, which is part of a bigger org, etc. And um, we are uh, a remote team. Um, you know, I, I think I've got just one other person based in the UK on my immediate team and then a couple of people in Dublin and, and like I mentioned, the US. So we don't get a chance to be together very often. In fact, um, you know, even the, uh, you know, the activations that my team are leading, often they're leading it with maybe one other person on the team or a couple of other people. Like it's only really something like can where we all get to be together. It doesn't happen very often or like one kind of... Um, uh, off-site, I suppose, a year. So how do you do that through through virtual meetings? Hmm. And, and um, we try to be there for each other and create a kind of like open environment. That's like something that um, Judy, who's my boss who I mentioned, is, is, is very good at, um, I guess, facilitating is try not to make it like feel too forced, but like reminders that every Monday morning just like, let the team know what's on your mind or like what your priorities are, what are your struggles, like what are your hurdles, et cetera. Or at the end of the week, like actively like letting folks know, um, call it Rose and Thorn. Like what was the thing that happened this week that you're, that was you're really proud of, like that you, you achieved or, um, it's kind of like your moment to like kind of, um, sing your own praises in a way and just let people know because sometimes when you're working on your own and you've done a great piece of work or something but no one gets to see it um and then the thorn like the thing that happened that was like oh, i really wish that didn't happen or that was you know that was shit um and uh i think that there's moments like that that just encourage authenticity and the team are very like supportive of each other um there's just like obviously we have virtual meetings and what have you how do you make them a little less formal like how do you just make them conversational giving everyone the opportunity to speak like calling on folks who won't naturally not be a uh someone that wants to come off mic in a bigger group and stuff like that but just trying to like make sure everyone has that moment to to um to speak as well I think in a modern day where so many of us are trying to work out what does hybrid look like and I've also worked in an international setting where I've had teams everywhere and it's a really interesting conundrum. And actually, you're almost forced into that by the location of your team. So it's really interesting to hear how you approach that. And I'm sure there'll be some leaders in here thinking and taking some of those tips away and thinking about how they can do them. Yes, definitely. I mean, like, you know, uh, I wouldn't be in this industry if I didn't say that, you know, getting people together for actual real life things <coughs> is very That's important. That's why we do what we do. <laughs> um, and, you know, we do do that whenever we can. And those moments are like magic for our team. Um, just... You know, I feel like we've at this moment where um, we built our team back up again after the, the pandemic and, um, you know, over the last year it felt like everyone was new for a while, but now it's not so much like that. Everyone's had some great projects under their belt. Everyone's kind of getting into their groove and their comfort zone and, um, you know, know each other's strengths and how to support each other. And it's actually quite an exciting time for our team. So I am actually really looking forward to, um, to Cannes and like being together. And yeah, can. Nice. yeah, can. <clears throat> Before we start dreaming about can for a second, <laughs> I had one more actual question there on the on the piece around the authenticity that 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 openness. Uh, you know, it's almost gold dust, right? To try and create that without it being kind of natural and organic, it links into kind of the, the passion and everyone's sharing the same passion as well. And something else you wrote in your letter was around that kind of passion and when it's 
stops being fun or passionate as, as to knowing when to you mentioned kind of the saying no scenario earlier um how do you recognize or for those that might be thinking around okay well i'm enjoying it slightly actually but maybe i've lost the passion can you share when or if, if not that's happened for you but but how do you kind of find that kind of in tuneness made a new word there but that kind of yeah alignment to i like kind of, it no. there for your new word and also thank you because mel i'm realized i didn't answer your question about saying no so it's all good i was going to come back to it yes um saying no is something that i find difficult if i'm honest and i think i get it from my mother who um has always <laughs> been a bit of a workaholic but was also just always wanted to be involved in everything and i think i get it from that it's is the honest truth but i think what i've realized is um when you say yes to everything you just spread yourself so thin that you're not as good at all of those things and i you know recently um uh, have been in a situation like that where you know couple of blah, 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 really exciting global projects. They're happening at different times than they usually would. And there's this massive overlap. And, you know, I was just like, well, I definitely want to be involved in both of those and play a key role in them because like one of them, my, that project feels like my baby over from over the last couple of years. And this other one is so important. And, um, just like went through honestly this, this month, maybe more of just intense, like long hours back to backs constantly for, long 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 hours and um having to skip half of the meetings for one project and then the other one and then catch up on recordings and things like that and um yes i was exhausted but like mainly i just realized i wasn't doing a great job on either of them um or a job that was as good as i would want on either of them i suppose and then also like I lead a team and they need me as well and I need to be able to show up for them and inspire them and not have them feel like I'm tired or like that they don't want to bring me something because they know I'm busy so I think that was a realization moment where I need to say no to things um it will definitely make you better at the other things um and then Max you said about the passion about when that yes it's it's not so much then the no it's it's the recognizing when it's time to stop or change mm -hmm. or to yeah so i uh, so that's kind of what i was alluding to there but also there has been a big moment like that for me and that was when i decided to leave clive actually um it was a really exciting time like we had just sold the business had been there for um maybe a year after that as we'd integrated into this global group there was this kind of like fork in the road moment where like things were needing to change and um you know there was a lot of opportunity there was a lot of opportunity coming in from big clients there was lots of new colleagues um and i think i was just like knew i didn't have the energy left in me to be honest mm. it was i felt like in that job i was there for a long time like you know 12 years there were lots of these kind of step changes where like maybe the company was acquired or you know merged or it was a rebrand so in a way it felt like lots of different jobs mm. and this was another one of those moments and i was like i need to have a hundred percent for this and i don't know if i have any more I, I guess i felt like i had become more of a manager i suppose um and whilst i find that part of my job rewarding it's not all i wanted to be kind of think i knew i wanted to get back to like being closer to the work mm. um opportunity to be more creative definitely um but i also knew if i was going to do that or go into something with this like new revised energy i probably needed a bit of a break and i needed to find some more inspiration so that was the moment i decided to stop find a new adventure and um you know I don't think I was like ready to find another company. I couldn't imagine somewhere else I wanted to work. Honestly, I was like, I couldn't work anywhere else. I'd like put everything into you this, bled, Clive, right? <laughs> into this brand. So um, that's when I was like, right, I'll do my gap year thing. I'll do it now. So <laughs> yeah. uh, so went traveling around Central South America and uh, got a lot of inspiration and uh, recharged, refilled the. Did that headspace give you the ability to kind of make your next move and decision, or did it kind of organically just fall in your lap? Uh, it did give me the energy, although I'll be honest, I still didn't know what I necessarily wanted to do when I got back. Um, and, the, I did... and the amazing thing is, as a head of global and, and the kind of senior roles you have and where you've worked and things, is it, it's that kind of real, realisation that, you know, in a senior position, it's okay to still not know and, and to kind of work that out. Totally. Not yeah. have the answers all the time. I 
do not have the answers now. Like I couldn't tell you what the next 10, 20 years are going to look like. Um, but yeah, it did that give me what I needed. I mean, there was something interesting that happened. I mean, it was a coincidence or fate, I don't know. But whilst I was away traveling, I, I kind of like people didn't understand what the job was, to be honest. Like I'd meet people. I went traveling solo, by the way. And um, pretty much everyone else who was doing that was a lot younger than me. Um, Isn't it sobering when you sit around a table and you're having a conversation? You're like, we're the same age and they're all 10 years younger. I've been there too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) at least 10 years younger. And um, so, uh, yeah, so like even just explaining to people, oh, yeah, no, it's experiential marketing, new brand activations, etc. Like people didn't even know what that was. And um, uh, I do remember like to go back to Cannes again. So it was the summer um, of 2019 and um, I saw on my socials or whatever like this great video of what Pinterest had just done at Can Lions and they had um, partnered with Yinkira Laurie, this amazing artist to create this like um, kind of like adult playground essentially it was like bringing um, the world of Pinterest to life and the sense of creativity and inspiration and play to life and I was like that is really cool and I remember showing it to this guy who I was traveling with and uh, I was like that's what I was talking about by the way that's the thing and then I was telling him about how cool it was and why I thought it was great and then it was actually he was like oh maybe that's what you want to do like they seem like a, a brand that you're excited about um and I thought yeah that's true um and then you know so be it months later they were advertising for the role so amazing and we uh, sorry I interrupted you there um we and coming towards the end but we can't possibly end without talking about some of your career highs and obviously we've mentioned can a few times Mm. and Pinterest do some incredible work at can but you've had so many iterations of your career like what are some of the highs and lows along that journey yeah interesting um I guess I try to think of them as like eras almost. (laughs) So I had this like kind of area, I suppose, around like 2010 maybe, uh, where we were Concerto Live, where I was definitely felt like I was growing. And there was a lot of new opportunities, starting to do more different, diverse type of work and global work. Really started doing some um, consumer work for the first time, actually. A lot of the work I'd done before was B2B. Um, Did this amazing um, pitch and two-year campaign in the end for Crusher, uh, milkshakes which was really fun and uh, went on to win some awards I, that's definitely a highlight we also won the facebook account at that time um we were traveling all over the world for that i think one year we did like 100 events a year and wow you could be in it was insane at the time honestly like you could be in new york with like a week's notice like working on an event with alicia keys and then the next week you're back in london doing some global book launch with david beckham and i know it sounds like i'm name dropping but like my career has not been about doing celebrity stuff but there was this like moment so <laughs> it does feel like quite an exciting time and then we were just doing lots of exciting international work that nick robinson had brought into the business through like honda and playstation so that was one um, another highlight is definitely around 2015, 16, 17 time. That's when Max and I started working together. And that's when... I'm not paying him for I was going to say, Max was the highlight. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a change, doesn't it? It was all Max. Uh, no, uh, but it, he was part of that, definitely. Like when we, uh, you know, when we went independent as an agency and, and like, you know, came up with the new brand, the new identity. And I don't think we realized this at the time, but we were one of the first agencies, I think, that was doing B2B really well. Um, and we were just having people knock on our door all the time. They loved what we were doing. We had so many opportunities. Um, the culture, the team mm. at that time, I just remember it. It just felt like we had it so right. There was a lot of really good memories, and like I feel very proud of that time. Mm. And that's a time when I got um, promoted to the board uh, at Clive, which was obviously a personal thing I was really proud of. Um, and, yeah, I mean, like I, I, I feel like I had since i've come to pinterest it does feel like a like a high we've touched on the can thing obviously we won the uh drum award last year um we also had pinterest presents as well so a couple of our big projects getting recognized is really exciting um and yeah we're we're about to do it all over again off we go my last question before we ask the biggie what would the sean of 2003 say to the sean of 2023 um, I'd probably say you could have warned me about what's going to happen in 2016 <laughs> and 2019 in the world. Um, and I think he would have said, I like the way we did things, actually. It was fun. Um, let's do those again.
Nice, brilliant. Which then brings us on to the, the, the kind of the fundamentals. So this is where, as we do and, and ask you in letter as well, is that to ask the key one piece of advice you tell your younger self if only you could and want to kind of hand that over to you to see what that would be. Yeah, so um, I feel like I have got a lot of ideas for this, but the one that really sticks out to me is just say the thing. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of time people struggle to give feedback or to share what they're really thinking. And I think it holds people back and it holds situations back and teams back and projects back. And, um, you know, it's something as I started working more of a global team and, and a US uh, business that I realized that actually us Brits are not very good sometimes at giving feedback, etc. Um, but sometimes the kind thing to do is to actually just say the thing like you know um that thing that you did in the meeting just then i know you were trying to achieve this but actually it made you look like this like wouldn't you rather know that than just do mm. that again for a number of years but it goes both ways and i think you have to be prepared to ask for someone else to say the thing um so you know regularly ask for feedback how can i get better is there anything i'm doing or what have you um and the reason that's top of mind is that um, I just read this book called Radical Candor and it goes into that a lot. And there were so many moments in there that I was just like, yes, that moment I gave that feedback, things got better. That moment I did not do that and didn't say the thing, it was a, such a pain for ages. So mm. it's kind of top of mind for me. Um, and then just one more, because I did have a really energizing conversation with um, the person that I mentor through Elevate this morning and it was really good timing. So I asked her what her piece of feedback was and she said, just remind yourself to take the hour, like however stressed you are, like however like, deep you are in it, always just, it's always worth just taking an hour to yourself and then coming back to it. And it's always way more achievable and not as bad as you thought. So I mm. thought I'd share that as well because it was a good piece of advice. Yeah, I like that and resonate with it. Same with those emails at the last thing at night. Oh, yes. Worst thing to do because or, or react to it quite quickly and actually not take the breather. But 100%. I like that, the, the, the openness of feedback and being able to give but as well as receive and not see it as criticism but constructive. Absolutely. Just say that thing. Just say the thing. Just say the thing. Love Thank that. Thank you so much, Sean. What a brilliant conversation. Thank, Thank you. you so much for joining us. Yeah. What Thank a pleasure. You. Thank you. Dear SD from 2003, greetings from the future. Right now, everything feels a little scary. You're pretty sure that decision you just made was a bad one. You think it will affect you for the rest of your life. It will, but not in the way you're expecting. Spoiler alert, things work out way better than you imagined. Pick up the phone and call that intense sales guy back. Tell him why he should hire you. It might not be the career for you, but it's the first step from which things will domino. They'll eventually stop asking you about football, and when you open up and put yourself out there, you'll discover a whole world of opportunities you didn't even know existed. Meet everyone. Go to everything. The network and knowledge you gain over the next few years will eventually turn into your superpower. But whilst you're busy saying yes to everything, try to remember it's also okay to say no sometimes too. You are good enough to work for that company, client or team, so go for it and be prepared to work hard to prove it. The cliche is true. You can and do create your own destiny. In 20 years time, you'll be asked to write a letter. You'll wish you kept a diary. But in the process, you'll realise you did in fact land that dream gig on more than one occasion. You'll get the chance to travel the world and you'll have the opportunities to learn from some of the most talented and generous people there are. You'll get to build brands, experiences and teams that you love. Remember those who gave you a shot and try to be that person for others too. All sounds kind of fun, right? It is. It's okay to love your job, but you should know you're better at everything when there's more to you than just your job. In those moments when you don't love your work, you probably strayed too far away from your passion. Even if you appear to be succeeding, luckily the solutions are simple. Get back to your creative core, find your inspiration in the real world, learn something. You don't have a grand plan, but that's okay. And by the way, that may never change. Know this, adventure awaits. Follow your dreams and choose to make it fun wherever you can. If you're not having fun, it's probably time to choose a new adventure. What a lovely conversation. We've both just reflected on how serene we almost feel after chatting to Sean it's it's one of those conversations you don't quite know how it's going to go but off the back of it feel energized calm it's insightful but at the same time you kind of have so many kind of sim not similarities but you can see parallels if you like and go oh I can really relate to that really relatable I suppose is a better way yeah it really is and I think what's really lovely is 
you know, the way that Sean, in his reflection, obviously, I think so many of us don't realise what we're doing at the time. And it's only with the benefit of hindsight, which is why it's so lovely to get our guests to write the, these letters to themselves. The journey that he's been on and his approach to things, you know, like leaning into interviews and understanding that they're learning experiences, being okay with not having all the answers, even when you've been on the board of somewhere mm. and you're in a new role and, and you're learning and asking for feedback and going, you know, how can I still be better, you know? I guess honing your craft and being okay with growing and learning and knowing it's a continual journey, as Sean said, is like, I don't know where the next 10 mm. years are going to be or where I'm going to be. And he's okay with that. And there's an expectation, be it on LinkedIn or social, to have that lined up, isn't there? The other thing that I really you know, enjoyed of the conversation with, with Sean is his willingness to learn from, and I know you mentioned that, but but equally trying different roles at different stages mm. as well. So not being stuck in your channel, your river of thinking, as we kind of mentioned it in Elevate, but being open to it, so trying different things as well, and then using that to help define what your passion is, and the passion being so important to drive you. And if there's something that makes you feel there's a time to say no, recognize that, listen to your gut, I suppose, and then really kind of go with that. Yeah, and I think so many people will get, you know, the ability to say yes and say no is such a skill to learn. And so many event planners, and I see it in Sean, I see it in myself, and so many, we're such control freaks and we want to be involved in everything and think we can do things better. And I love that Sean was really open in recognizing and saying, you know, there are sometimes I need to step back and let my team step forward and let mm. them have those opportunities. And it takes, I think, real bravery sometimes to accept that, you know what, I, I can't do everything. And I love also Sean sharing his mentee advice, which actually came out in his own journey you know stepping back giving yourself space to think and bit and knowing that the world isn't going to fall apart and sometimes the best thing you can do is take a minute take an hour take a gap year take take time to really think about what comes next because I think we're all on such a hamster wheel and feel like if we don't have the next thing lined up if we don't have the answer something will fall apart and actually he's really grown in those moments where he's created space mm. and his one piece of advice oh yeah, that's just a great piece of advice, isn't it? Just saying the thing, which is right, us Brits are not that great at, but but it's not just saying it, it's being able to receive it. And that's a real skill, I think. And I think that helps open up this environment for people to feel they can, that that in, you know, authenticity, and, and that helps with this company culture piece. So I think that's a really nice one to take away and something that we should all you know, keep in mind in, in our meetings, in our workspace, and even, I suppose, in our personal lives, is that say the thing and be open to it. Yeah. Elevate operates thanks to the generosity of our partners and supporters. To find out more about them, you can check them out via our website, elevateme.co. Together, we're changing lives, careers, and the events industry for the better. This podcast was powered by Wonder, the independent specialist, creative, business-to-business and business-to-employee events agency. And a huge thanks goes to our producer and fellow team elevator, Pete Kerwood.